Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Thursday, August 24th, 2023. And our top story today, index providers, the whales behind exchange-traded funds. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more is Professor Yuan of the Johns Hopkins University Carey School of Business. Professor An, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you, my pleasure. Uh, Let's talk about some research you and uh, your colleagues did on exchange-traded funds. There's a lot to unpack here. First, just to level set, let's talk about exchange-traded funds, what they are, and how big the marketplace is. So basically, exchange-traded funds, right, is is an investment vehicle that allow investors actually to passively invest in index. For example, right, if you want to try, if you want to buy the market, then nowadays, right, one of the big things you go to is the SPY, the Spider ETF, which is actually, if you think about it, it's actually on a pretty low cost basis in each year, right? You put in whatever, like you put in $1 and the cost you, and the cost of that maintaining the ETF is like nine basis point. It's like, which one basis point is like one hundredth of one hundredth. So it's a pretty low cost, it's a pretty low cost vehicle for investors to get access to a lot of broad market indexes. Yeah. And it, and it really, I think they've actually exceeded mutual funds, I think, for the first time. So this is a way, as you said, to get uh, get the broad market exposure to the broad market. The S&P 500 is probably one of the most famous benchmark. It's been around for, for like forever. Um, let's talk about how these these products are constructed because they're they're typically passive, which means that they're indexed, so there's no active management involved from the manager. But there's a licensing that goes on, sir. Uh, do you want to talk about that and how that how that works? So when you create an exchange traded fund, you you need to license the the benchmark on which it's based. Yes. So that's exactly where we got where we started. Let's go back to the example of Spider ETF, right? The SPY, right? So basically, it's created by two cup. It's created by two guys, two companies. In the end, one we obviously say, right? It's the S and P five hundred index. So it's created by the S and P five hundred index, and they own the intellectual property of that index. So and it's not like me can open up an ETF and say I want to track that index. No, I cannot use their name there, right? Even though it's they use the 500 largest company in the market. So the guys who actually, who actually, by the end of the day, who try to create the ETF, it's called ETF sponsors. And in this case, it's a state straight. So they sign a licensing contract with this, with the SP, with the like the SMP to get that license. And then they package into an ETF product to offer to investors. So state straight is facing the investor. Whereas the SP, whereas this, whereas the S and P is offering the index. Now, what does this licensing fee? And this is great. I think this helps a lot of people who may not understand how this whole whole this whole world works. Because you you have you need the intellectual capital, or at least you have to buy the intellectual capital, pay for it. I guess it's annually, monthly, however they arrange it. But what does this mean for the products? What does this? How does that translate? How does that intellectual fee? 
translate to cost? Does it have an impact on the cost that the investor would pay on the on the back end, on the front that's end? That's exactly. Yeah, thank so that's exactly the question we are after. So let's think, let's again, take the example of SPY. So each year, actually for that, again, that every $1 you invest, you give nine basis points of that to the state straight. And out of the nine basis points, state straight can only keep six basis points. And the remaining set, and the remaining three basis points all goes to the, the, the S&P company, right? Which collects this licensing fee. Now, if you do the math, as we talked about, right, the state, the SPY is like the most popular thing on the market. It has like hundreds of billions of capital tracking it. And if you just do that, SPY, like the S&P company, only from like licensing this index along to the to this one particular ETF, gonna collect over one hundred million dollars per year. And that's a lot of money for calculating yeah, right. seems to calculating a simple average of the calculated market weighted average. Of course, it will have many accuracy, it might do many other efforts, but hundred million dollars a year, that sounds a lot, a lot of money. And that's actually what motivates our research to say, okay, does this impact investor by the end of the day? Are they getting too much money? And of course, you can see if they are able to lower the amount of money they charges, stay straight then state straight will be having a lot, from their perspective, will have a lower cost and they can pass on some of the safe costs to the end investors, which makes everybody happy. Well, Professor Ahn, I want to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about exchange traded funds. Keep taking a look behind the scenes. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Well, Professor Ahn, thanks so much for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning. Thank you, my pleasure. Uh, so let's, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about S&P, Standard & Poor's, but there are a lot of other companies in the indexing intellectual capital, right? There's, there's a plethora, there's, I think, 
uh, MSCI, there's F uh, FTSE Russell. I mean, right there, are, there are a lot of different companies that license their intellectual capital to asset managers. That's a that's a great that's a great that's a great point. So, in fact, the first thing we start is how concentrated is this market. Yes, if you heard the names, there seems to be a lot of guys who is providing the indexes. And you see, probably you also heard of some meme, some meme ETF indexes, right? Offered by smaller companies. However, in fact, this business, the ETF business, is all about quantity. It's all about how much money is actually tracking your index because the big money for this for this market is made not by how much money you charge per dollar. You can see nine basis point, 10 basis point is not a lot on single dollar. But if you can charge that on billion dollars or hundreds of billions of dollars, it's a lot of money. So what we actually did in the paper is actually we look at like, yes, there are so many index providers, but how concentrated are they? Like what fraction of money is tracking them? Now, it turns out this may be shocking that over 50% of money in the US, ET, US equity ETF is all tracking some ETFs that benchmark to some index offered by S&P. So S&P is really dominant shares. And if you look at the top five guys, the top five index providers, including the guys you named, the S&P, the MSCI, the FUSI, and they include, they have 95% of the market share. So five guys, 95% of market share, that seems a quite large concentration to me. So. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and when I think about the retirement industry of, from where I come, sir, uh, you know, every plan has an S&P 500 fund in it. It could be a mutual, it's most likely a mutual fund. So it's not necessarily an exchange traded fund, but the same principle ap applies. Um, what, what's the, uh, how, what's the, what are the next steps in terms of the research? I mean, is the advocacy here, you know, there, there's a lot going on on the passive side, but there's also actively managed ETFs. I would imagine not as large a, uh, a percentage when you look at the broad ETF marketplace. But what, what's the advocacy here? Is the advocacy to create more competition and therefore bring down costs, um, sir, in your words? Yeah. So basically, I think that's by the end of the day, right? What, we, what we're trying to get at is by the end of the day, trying to say, okay, you know, before thinking about the policy implications, we want to first just dig out the facts. A lot of about this market is just people don't know about this market, don't know what these index providers are doing, I mean, how much money they are making. I mean, and of course, right, what we try to do in the paper is trying to dig out, to try to dig out like, okay, that seems to be how much money they are making and how much of that is really due to the cost. It might be really costly to provide index and how much that is due to the competition. And of course, we, by the end of the day, we have some evidence supporting this probably due to like their, their like is the market is not as competitive as we want, that they got, they have really high profit margin. And, you know, one thing that before thinking about the policy of, uh, so, okay, let's try to have a policy of bringing down this license fee. I think one thing that could be possible is we better know what their licensing fees are. Now, we actually did in the paper is actually we look at like all the ETF disclosures see whether ETF disclose their licensing fees. And unfortunately, even this information that seems so vital to an investor who invests in ETF, this is not publicly available. Like only we do, we search through all the prospectus, only 10% of ETF offer this information. So we, unfortunately, we have to do our analysis based on this limited sample, making additional assumptions that works with in the paper. But one thing that could really help like academics and also like practitioners to understand more about this market is that if this information 
well, of course, have to preserve the confidentialities of certain agreement, but like regulator, if they know more about this, then potentially they can think about, well, there seems to be too much money they're making. How about let's bring it down a little bit? But that seems to be a little bit down the board. We just first want to figure out what happened with this market. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to ask the chef for their secret sauce, right? I mean, that's kind of their intellectual capital. And I kind of understand why they want to keep it to themselves. But let me kind of tie tie off with the last question here. Um, so these invest so investment providers like State Street, BlackRock, others. I mean, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of providers that are licensing um, the intellectual capital. Wouldn't they, as the assets, so they negotiate a deal, right? And uh, and have been negotiated certain deals, and there's always been like tiered pricing. So as um, as more assets flow in. The, the price changes over time. So wouldn't the investment managers who are creating the product, the ETF managers, wouldn't they try to negotiate more advantageous fees and therefore pass that on to their uh, participants or to, to their shareholders? Because ultimately it's a market, they're competing, you know, SSGA is competing with BlackRock, competing with Vanguard. So isn't that a form of competition similar to what you're you're advocating for? Yeah, I think, Basically, you're saying, okay, what, why does the market discipline per se, right, bring down this level of profit that we document in the paper? And I think, first of all, we mentioned the tier pricing. That's happening in the contracts, although not a lot. For example, take the, the QQ index, which track the NASDAQ 100 index, which track the NASDAQ 100 index, right? I mean, it has like a nine basis point fee, like up to certain points. And then when the AUM, when the AUM of ETF goes to about a certain hole, it goes to a basis point, not a large jump. And for the SPY, there's not those shops. So we see some of that reduction, but it's not a lot. And you may ask question, why don't, right? I mean, it seems that the cost of providing index is a fixed amount. Like I take fixed amount of effort to compute the index. It shouldn't depend on like whether 100 people use it or a million people use it. But that seems to, so that's that's one thing that bugs us. And to say, okay, probably these guys, they have some power. You know, is if you think about the ETF coming back by the day, it's one thing that's really facing retail investors, right? A lot of retail investors seem to be like them. I mean, and a lot of guys who just like the name, right? You know, SP is a trustworthy name, right? MSC yes, is a trustworthy They have been there on the market. So if you got the index saying, I'm tracking some SM, some index provided by S&P, people may say, you know, you're a credible, you're a credible ETF. Whereas, you know, I can create an index, right? <laughs> I can name it index, except nobody will buy it because I have no credibility, you know? So that's the reason why they give S&P some power, right? They're able to help the ETF attracting clients. And of course, if they can do that, they are able to get a share from them. Yeah. And, and I guess last question, I lied. The last one was not the last question. But as you're talking, I was thinking about this. So, you know, the uh, investment industry is regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. Is this something that is on the radar screen of the SEC? You know, the SEC, they're busy with a lot of things right now. Cryptocurrency, they just released some disclosure rules for private markets. But is, do you think that this is on the agenda of the securities, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission? 
Yeah, we actually, our paper is cited in one of the reports. So they are currently looking at investigating these issues of index provider. And this is not just in US, actually like also like in, in UK, like the financial conduct authorities, they have been conducting similar investigations at these index providers. I think that's coming back to this trend, like it may be like 20 years ago when these passive investors, they were not passive investing, were not big. People don't look at this, who provide this index. But now like passive investing has been so big, right? That people start to say, okay, you know what? Like we want to go back and see who provides this index. Those guys seem to be a lot of power in deciding a lot of things that we see in the financial markets. So a lot of investigation is upon them. Like to, uh, we're certainly just looking at one aspect of what they're doing. So, so yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. I think any investor, my personal opinion, any investor should understand what A, what they're buying what they're investing in, what, what actually is happening, and then understand the cost. Because as you said, and as we've said numerous numerous times on the show, fees matter. They have an impact on the balance you're going to have. Professor An, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for sharing your research. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon, sir. Thank you, my pleasure. Thank you, my pleasure. And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, aging, so much more, all in one place. That's right, one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, visit our website. We're backing in tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. We'll have another very special guest. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving. And don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.